Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. Ragnarok has come. Today on Decision Space, we flee the destruction fires, and we're going to dive into and cover one of the top 50 games of all time, at least according to Board Game Geek users. We'll, we'll hear, hear about Jake's personal history with the game a little bit. I, this might be a game that Jake let go. We'll see. But I think more importantly, we'll return to and cover, I think, what's become a legendary area conflict game in the hobby and also discuss the core mechanism of, mechanisms of the game beyond that, like card drafting, uh, area conflict in general. And we'll talk about agency. So there's a lot of exciting things to come. Jake, totally explain yourself. Do you know what I was thinking about doing in that intro? Was I, I wanted to say, I'm Brendan Hansen just to see what you would do. How and, I'd react? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm Jake Friedman. Yeah, okay. Good. Now, now, now that everyone's thoroughly confused, uh, let's <laughs> jump right into it with our uh, individual ratings and like brief synopsis of our thoughts on the game. So I can go first. I'm going to give Blood Rage a 6.5 out of 10. It's just not a game I really dig. I think it's really important coming into this episode that you know about my personal bias towards area control games in general. They're just not my favorite. And I think there are a ton of interesting mechanisms in Blood Rage, uh, some really elegant design choices, uh, tons of fun decisions to make on your turn um but at the end of the day just the way they come together is not something that is super palatable to me so yeah that that's sort of where i'm coming into this episode from awesome okay here's mine blood rage is a game of high highs and low lows for me its bombastic cover embodies the unapologetic charge to marry euro game design aesthetics with miniatures on a map area control and a high agency resource and risk management game about biding your time and striking at the precise moment that's right. It succeeds wonderfully at this goal. I love the way information unfolds slowly, then all at once in Blood Rage and enjoy its upgrade system, which are exciting and fun. But ultimately, it's a game held back by its procedural play and slow pace of exciting decisions. So for me, Blood Rage is a 7.5 out of 10. Still an awesome game. I'm a fan of Blood Rage. I think it's really cool. But on a personal taste level, it, it's not a home run. Yeah. All right. Well, it sounds like we're kind of coming at this from similar perspectives. You're a little higher. I think yep. it seems like it just kind of all comes together in a way for you that you think is very good. And for me, I think is just not totally for me, but you know, still impressive design. Before we get deeper into our discussion on this, we should say to our pre-planners, those who like to play games along with us, um, ahead of time to get perhaps a little bit more out of the episode we will be covering get on board next week a little bit of a lighter game but it's not a roll and right so it technically was a it's a and right it's a flip and right that used to have writing and now in its new version you can play this on board game arena published by yellow has replaced the writing elements with putting pieces on the board so it's sort of it's like the the inspired cousin published differently of a roll flip and right game yeah, it feels like a flip and right. The decision yeah, space does totally. Yeah. Um, it's it's fun. It's a quick to play on board game arena. So feel free to try it out over there. Get a few plays in um, or look, you can find us playing it and other people playing it in our discord as always in our pre planner channel. We should also announce we do have a Patreon for this podcast. If you'd like to support the show uh, monetarily, uh, that would be a tremendous help to us to continue to create this content for you. But anyway, one of the perks for being a patron of the show is you get to temp to periodically vote on a game for us to cover uh, this time around the winning game from that vote was a tie. It was a tie between barrage and Rajas of the Ganges. And we have decided we're just going to cover them both, if that's okay with y'all. Um, so those are games. We're, we'll probably cover them in the next couple of months. Um, so something to be looking forward. And if you want to get some plays in of those, I think they're both on Board Game Arena. I know Rajas of the Ganges is on Yukata for sure. Yeah. Um, so and Barrage yeah, is on Board Game Arena. Yeah, so they're available to play online right now. Uh, okay, so that's enough with the announcements. Should we get into our uh, the game 
background for Blood Rage, Brendan? Yeah, definitely. I think we should. So Blood Rage was published in 2015 by Simon, Cool Mini or Not. And I think it's important to just note this is the first Eric Lang game that we've covered on the show. Eric Lang has been publishing games, designing games and having his games published, I should say, uh, for many, many years and has a huge list of notable games. But I would say also is sort of the preeminently known area conflict designer in board games right now. Um, and part of that is because of this mythic trilogy that uh, I think fans have dubbed it a mythic trilogy because I found a quote from Eric Lang about his trilogy of games, which is Blood Rage, Rising Sun, and Ankh, um, where he says, I'd love to say, yes, it was planned, but it was more like the Matrix movies in that it obviously wasn't planned from the outside. Uh, so I thought that was an interesting tidbit. You know, he he's known for, a, there's a ton of people who are a fan of his 2009 game, Chaos in the Old World, that sort mm. of is one of his sort of another legendary area conflict game from him. Um, but these sort of three games that come together are really Blood Rage published in 2015, which we're covering on today's show, Rising Sun, which came out in 2018, and then most recently Ankh, that all share sort of similar ideas. They're all inspired by these mythologies. So they've been grouped together in the zeitgeist. And I think for a lot of people, Blood Rage remains the high point for them. Uh, of these games. Though Ankh, I've heard, is amazing at two players. Uh, and there's this whole growing contingency of players who say, you know, Ankh, I don't know about this interesting, weird merge mechanism, but like that's the two-player version of these area conflict games that you should play. Interesting tidbit. Yeah, and just in from what I've gathered from the general discussion around these games is it does seem like each one kind of has its own appeal and appeals to its own niche of people. So I know there are definitely a lot of people out there that say, you know, for me, Rising Sun is the pinnacle. That's kind of the one um, that our group or whatever, uh, you know, really played a lot of. Uh, and I think Ankh certainly has won many fans. I know Paul Solomon, friend of the show, is, is a huge fan of Ankh. I personally haven't tried any of these other ones. I think if I were to try one, I'm a lot more interested in Ankh than Rising Sun, which I might be wrong about this, but I've kind of heard that it can be a little bit like bloated and a little long playing, which sounds not what I'm personally looking for in this genre of games. But but yeah, Ankh sounds, sounds really cool. The other thing I'd like to add too, just for me, Blood Rage has always held like, like an interesting place in my headspace and thinking about board games because i kind of joined the board game hobby and got into it in a really big way in 2015 and like so blood rage was the first game that i really like that was like the hot game that yeah. i like bought and tried huge uh, on kickstarter Massive. it was like a it was a huge kickstarter you know it was like made all the rounds on all the podcasts of everybody just sort of you know, universally, it seemed like adoring this game at the time, this sort of like hybrid game that like, okay, this is the game that I can bring to my Euro gamers and Ameritrash gaming friends uh, and everyone's going to love it was if at least to me coming into that the hobby at that time, that felt like this new and like totally groundbreaking thing. And I think that, you know, part of the esteem that Blood Rage has today being in the top 50 board games of all time. Obviously, a lot of people genuinely love the game, so I'm not trying to dismiss that at all. But I think like that sort of the fact that it was at the time seemed groundbreaking this week in this way sort of really lifts it up even higher. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And then I think so since then, Eric Lang has been working on tons of games. He actually worked for Simon at one point. He was sort of managing uh, the design for for all of Simon. It's like their uh, in-house designer. Their in-house design lead, yeah. So Marvel United is a co-op game that came out of that. Uh, very exciting game that I know there's big fans of in our Discord. Um, and then I wanted to mention also, this is a game that doesn't come up a ton, but I hear it come up among people who have either been in the board game hobby for a long time or sometimes around designers. And that game is Couriers. This is a 2011 game that's heavily inspired by Dominion because it's not a deck builder, it's a bag builder about building bags of dice that you then use to battle uh, with lots of cues. So a play on warriors, but with Q. Uh, so that game was a big, a big hit. Jake's shaking his head. It's not my pun. I didn't name Couriers, Jake. You don't have to quarrel with me. Yeah. Um, Is that yeah. even a pun or that's just like, it's like, yeah. oh, we're going to use a Z instead of an S in this word. I don't think that makes it a pun. <laughs> okay, let's not get into prescriptivist grammar. I can't take it on the decision space anymore. 
<laughs> no, but yeah. Okay, fair point. Fair point. Uh, I also, Jake, when we go back to, or when we revisit, we're not revisiting, when we visit big designers for the first time, sometimes I like to see uh, what we can pull from interviews. So I found this interesting interview that's a little bit older from 2012. And there's lots of newer interviews, video interviews from Eric Lang. I watched a few of them. They're great. Um, but I just wanted to read this one because it was kind of uh, kind of an interesting question, which was uh, this from the Art of Design interviews from the Opinionated Gamers. We'll link this on the show's post, maybe in the show notes. Uh, and it's, is there are there any de- designers that have influenced you? And Jake, I'm just going to read maybe the top one. Um, and Eric says, uh, Sid Saxon, who I consider to be the grandfather of Eurogames, was so far ahead of his time, it's unreal. From his games and writing, I decided that uh, psychology is the most important field a designer can master. His best games leap out of the box. Players never feel imprisoned by the rules, but rather empowered to create and resolve deep textured conflicts. That, that feels very on topic to Blood Rage, what we're covering. Oh, yeah, today. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, yeah. yeah. And then from Sid, I learned that the best designs don't dictate interaction. They inspire it. Again, home run for Blood Rage. They don't challenge the player to solve them. They inspire the player to leap beyond them and possibly his own abilities and create awesomeness for themselves and their friends. Um, so again, this is a 2012 interview in which Eric Lang is talking about a designer he admires that I could feel like he could be talking about his design goals for Blood Rage in some ways. Like if you're if a Blood Rage fan might describe some of the things that Eric just said about Sid Saxon about Blood Rage so that players never feel imprisoned by the rules. One of the things that people love most about Blood Rage is that it's a, a really high agency area conflict game in which you have a lot of ability to choose what battles you participate in and don't. Um, it's a It encourages conflict rather than encouraging turtling, something that a lot of people had issues with, with these more classic troops on a map style games. Um, so I think that it's just cool to sort of see this. And again, if you want to read the full interview, it's long, it's great. He also talks about being inspired by Christian Peterson, the original founder of Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, so there's more great nuggets hidden in that interview. Totally. And I just want to say too, on the topic of Eric Lang, I'm just I think Blood Rage might be the only Eric Lang game that I've played, which just feels mm. like such a blind spot. And there there are a lot of other games too, I think, especially from that kind of uh era of when I was coming into the hobby that like uh, were like games I always wanted to try, but just never had the chance chaos in the old world was one of them but i think probably now i know that that's not necessarily going to be something that would appeal to my taste but arcadia quest is one that uh, i don't think we mentioned at the top but it's something that's like i've always wanted to try and just always seems like it would just be like a super raucous fun time um and then i think yeah you you mentioned it too but the other one that i'm sort of intrigued by uh, and really that intrigue comes from the positive reviews I've seen for in our discord are is Marvel United, which seems like yeah. another game that is perhaps bigger than the box or bigger than the first, your first initial impression of it might be. Yeah. And that that's also a game with just so much content. Something that blows me away is how well supported that game is with so many boxes. So maybe it's not bigger than the sum total of any of its boxes, but you could fill your closet with boxes of that game. Totally. But let's let's put that on the just back burner goal to definitely cover another Eric Lang game sooner rather than cool. later, because I do want to just for my own self check out some more of these games. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, let's jump into your rules overview, Brendan, previously separately recorded, and then we'll hop back in on the other side to give our deep dive exploration of the decisions in Blood Rage. Interdecisional spaceship. Hit it. Beep, boop, boop, boop. Blood Rage is an area conflict game in which players command their own Viking clan vying for control of the nine realms of Norse mythology as they're decimated by the fires of Ragnarok over the course of each game. The hook of Blood Rage is that each player's clan starts out exactly the same, but by game end, players will have augmented their clan stats, monsters they have available to fight for them in battle, and upgraded their own abilities to have a unique and ideally synergistically powerful clan. Played over the course of three ages, Blood Rage follows a simple game flow. 
Draft cards, then take actions. While taking actions, players will be playing cards, populating the board with troops, interacting with the board to pillage regions, doing battle in different regions, playing quests, moving and slash marching troops around the board, etc. until either all players run out of actions or all the regions on the board have been pillaged, at which point the round ends and players free any warriors they lost in battle from Valhalla. In doing so, they'll gain points for each troop they lost that round, and any troops that would have would remain on the board simply remain on the board for next round. Then a new round begins with another card draft. Some key points about the game. In each of the game's three card drafts, players receive six new cards from a specific deck of that age. These cards are a mix of different types of cards. There's battle cards used to add troop strength in battle, upgrades used to augment player abilities or allow players to gain access to powerful monsters that have special attributes, or quests which provide victory points and stat increases for fulfilling specific conditions. Players might end up with a hand containing more of some types of these cards than others. After each draft is the action phase. During the action phase, players take turns taking actions with each action in the game typically costing some amount of rage. Rage is a resource that players gain at the start of each age. Much of the strategy in Blood Rage is surrounding drafting strong hands and powerful card synergies, but the sequencing of actions in each round is also key, as is managing rage, and keeping pace with stat increases. Raising the rage stat increases the number of available actions to a player, and also allows them to play strong actions which typically cost more rage. Players can increase the number of troops they're allowed to have on the board at a given time by raising a second stat, horns. And finally, players can increase the number of victory points they gain for winning a battle by increasing a third stat, glory. During the action phase, a player may elect to pillage a region in which they have at least one troop. In doing so, a call to battle occurs, where players with region-adjacent troops may move them into the region being pillaged for free, so long as the space remains for more troops to join in that region. Once a region is full, or all players pass on the opportunity to move troops, a battle begins. Players simultaneously reveal a card from their hand. If it's a battle card, they add the value of the card played to the combined value of their troops in that region. Regular warriors start at one power, but can be upgraded to be more powerful. Each player has a leader with three power, uh, etc. Then, the player with the most power overall in that region, in the battle, wins. If the winning player is the player who pillaged, they succeed in pillaging, which gains them points for winning the battle and typically allows them to raise a specific stat. However, if the player who started the battle loses, no pillage occurs that round. Losing players send all their troops to Valhalla to be reclaimed at the start of the next round, but they get to keep the cards they played, returning them to their hand, giving players around the table information about the types of battle cards or the lack of battle cards a player might have. One twist is that in Blood Rage, many of the battle cards have special effects that might drastically and dramatically reshape the battle or encourage players to intentionally participate in and lose battles, typically referred to as low-key strategies. These wrinkles make for a tense and dynamic decisions around battles in Blood Rage. After three rounds, the player with the most glory, aka points, is crowned the victor. All right. Welcome back. Brendan, thank you so much. That was incredible. I cried. You know, I laughed. <laughs> what more can you want from a rules overview? Thank you, Jake. <laughs> yeah, you're very welcome. Um, okay, that's characterize the decision space. Yeah. So size and type. Let's start there. This feels... Okay, one thing that's really interesting about this is the structure of rounds, right? Every single round, you have this... Uh, influx of rage, which is the game's resource to let you do stuff. Most things in this game cost rage, not everything. Playing quests is free. Those cost like a unit of time. Like there's an opportunity cost because you could have done something else, but beyond that, they're free to play. But almost everything else you could do, you have to spend rage. So you sort of like build up and you have all these potential decisions and then some battles happen. Uh, the number of spaces that can be pillaged is reduced over that round. Um, so it feels like a punctuated waning decision space. And then on top of this is that every round the board gets smaller. Eric Lang forces conflict onto us by Ragnarok is occurring not soon, but now, right now. And a region is going to be destroyed every round. Uh, so the board itself is getting smaller. So there's fewer decisions to make. It's waning down. But at the same time, you have this positive feedback loop built into, into the game with this stat system, this positive agency loop where the better you do early on, the more you get to do in later rounds. Um, so the more you more decisions you can make, you could have more troops on the board. You could just simply take more actions with your rage. You're going to get more abilities that allow you to do more things and make more actions. So it's this sort of 
interesting, unique mix of the board space sh shrinking, but your agency kind of growing and exploding in some ways. Yeah, it's like another one of these, as ridiculous as it is to say, like waxing, waning games, right? Which, yeah, what, yeah. what was the game we covered recently that had that same kind of dynamic? Well, while we're thinking about that, I think they're the other game that I'm immediately reminded of that has the same type of shape where like on one hand you're powering up and on the mm -hmm. other hand you're like act the amount of turns or whatever you may have is shrinking down is uh wingspan it does the exact mm, same thing yep. where you're creating your engine of birds uh and yet each round you have one less turn to take so that is even more rigidly structured but i, I think there's kind of an interesting recipe here that works really well that seems yeah. to appeal to a lot of people which is that it's very fun to power up but the downside to that in in a lot of games is that it makes the like final couple turns of the game like as long or longer than the whole game proceeding up to that point kind of an example of that is lost ruins of arnak where sometimes it feels like the fifth and final round of that game takes as long or longer than all previous rounds of the game um so i think it is really a cool shape for a game to have that creates like some really natural you know like narrative arc where you're powering up and at the same time some in some way the game is restricting you i i, I want to pick up exactly where you left off jake because i feel like another thing we have to touch on is so you're powering up and part of powering up is getting these upgrades that change essentially what you as a player can do, right? Like we start exactly the same. Our, my clan is the same as your clan. We have a leader, we have some warriors, and we have a lot of potential. And then by the end of round one, I have a little bit more identity. Maybe I've made some small upgrades to what my leader can do, or I've added a new monster to my clan. Um, and you've done the same. And then by the start of round three, We've done that even more. We've collected specific quests. And now my goal, my objective, how I'm going to get points, not my options, right? But like my viable decisions, my strategic path in the game has become pretty clear. And I think that even though you have the ability to do more, I think by the coming into round three, like what you need to accomplish becomes very clear in a way that feels like a waning decision space because you kind of know what your strategy for the most part is going to be, or at least what you hope your strategy is going to be so yeah. long as no one else messes it up. Yeah. So and it I, feels like you can run to the finish line. Totally. And we haven't invoked like the draft yet as part of this, but I think that too can create it not, and it won't always be the case, but sometimes it can create like, uh, that that's the feeling where I'm opting into a specific strategy in round yeah. one and two, right? Which mm -hmm. at, by the time you get to the last round, you're still going to have decisions therein to play it out. But like your strategy is locked in. You're no longer yeah. making decisions about that. You're like, okay, I'm the Loki person. So I'm trying to, you know, get my uh, warriors out on the board and then get them killed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, and or yeah, you you've power. You're going to play the, into the leader this time. So you get the the card that whenever uh, you successfully pillage with your leader, you get to move them to an adjacent province for free. And you're just going to try to stack upgrades. And you're going to just say, "My leader is leading me, and that's all I'm going to focus on." And I think yeah, that's really one of the strongest parts of the game. But talking about the draft, Jake, one thing I find so interesting is that the card pool when you're playing at a full player count, it's just known. You're just using all the cards in the game. Um, and even at smaller player counts, you know what cards are being taken out if you study that. So I think it, that's really interesting to me because it's not like we're randomly discarding some subset and it's a surprise what cards you might see. Um, some do get discarded from the draft at the end because you don't always draft all the cards. So you don't necessarily know what's in, but you know what could have been taken and what might have been taken, which I think is a is a Euro-style feature of the decision space, where it's very clear, very defined. There's not a lot of randomness there. Could we say that this game has like waxing agency, but waning decision space? Decisions? Yeah, that's, I think totally. I think that's, that's what it is. And I think that that's what we're is describing. the same as uh, Wingspan. It, yeah. it is kind of like this like unique feel. Uh, I'd be interested 
to think through what other type of games fall in that where you're powering up, but at the same time, the game is restricting you. And I think the overall thrust of the decision space is one of waning because in each of those, which you led with, right, is punctuated waning in yep. each of those three ages, you've got X amount of rage and that is whittling down until yeah. you're, you have to pass. You're potentially losing troops on the map, so you have fewer options of where you might move them, what you might do, because you've lost them in battle. There are fewer places to pillage, because once a spot is, uh, territory is pillaged once, it flips over. So everything you're doing has that waning sense, except for the fact that you're like upgrading and getting more powerful cards in each of the ages. And even if you do really terrible, you're that which would mean you're not like upgrading your stats you're still getting more powerful cards through the second and third age draft yeah um so yeah i think that i think that's probably a pretty good way to describe it what do you feel about like the clarity of the decision space it's a really interesting question because i think that like the, some of the things i was talking about jake were like information my favorite thing about blood rage is the way information gets put into the system i think that's the best thing about this design for me so i like the card draft because i get a sense for who might have uh what cards are potentially on the table who might be getting them what cards i had access to i like that information coming around the table um i know at least two some cards that get discarded because we're not going to draft our whole hands and then as you play a given round you get information about what a player's goals might be based on where they are putting their troops and then when you do battle the fact that uh the winning players lose the cards they used in battle but the losers losing players get their card back that instantly gives you so much information about what a player is capable of um so i think for me it's the clarity in every single round, like it starts pretty fuzzy and then all of a sudden it feels very clear what people are going for and trying to accomplish. Like the second someone plays a Loki card, you know that, oh, they're just trying to farm Loki points. A Loki card, for those of you who haven't played the game, might say something along the lines of, um, it's a battle card that if you play it, uh, you you gain glory. You steal one rage from the player who wins the battle, for example, is one, one Loki card. Or you might... Uh, invade a province with a warrior for free if you lose that battle so you're specifically trying to get into battles and to lose on purpose right which is uh something that's really interesting right for the decision space on one end right people have it just adds more intrigue of people have different goals as compared to a different type of you know area conflict game as you've termed it where it's all right everybody's always trying to win every single conflict they're in um which in, in that, I'd say that inherently would provide more clarity to the decision space, what's going on. Sure. Um, so I think that's interesting. For me, Like, I think that a game that is heavily, heavily reliant upon player interaction, mm-hmm. as this game is, right, at its core, you know, you have to play the players as much as the game itself, or more so. Uh, that is going to be something that is far more on the the fuzzy side of the clarity spectrum than clear because right. people are chaotic. People make seemingly illogical decisions in games all the time. And that might be because it's just actually really wrong what they're doing or because they're like several levels ahead of you in their understanding of the game. But either way, it would have been, you know, impossible for you to predict what their actions would be and, and plan your moves accordingly. Totally. What's fun about Blood Rage in part and that fuzziness is that what's best on your turn depends on what everyone else does in response to what you do just now. And that's yeah. the puzzle you're trying to solve. And that's what makes the decision about what to do with the first few turns of every round really exciting and also can be sort of paralyzing. But again, halfway through any given round, all of a sudden it becomes really clear what's left to accomplish and what people might be trying to do. So I, I totally agree with you. It it leans fuzzier than some of the games we try to play, but I think the Euro influence pulls us towards like, no, I want you to have information about objectives in a way that maybe puts, like at, at the end of a given round of El Grande, I think there's more room for bluffing about what you might be wanting to accomplish than Blood Rage. Like I feel the end of a round of Blood uh, of Blood Rage, I feel like my goals, my objectives are usually pretty clear to everyone else at the table. I think that for is, better or worse. Yeah, and I think that is just a facet of waning decision space games, sure. right? As decisions shrink down, it gets much more obvious, right? It's yeah. like okay, there's only one territory left that could I could possibly pillage. Like, do I have a chance in hell of actually like achieving that? 
probably not. So I'm just going to like stand pat here and, and drop down a goal or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, a personal objective. So that's interesting. And I think like, to me, like the core, so, you know, so we've talked a little bit about the clarity and the type of the decision space. Would, would you say that the, maybe we'll wrap with the uh, discussion of the size and depth before yeah. we get into the like specific decisions we're making. But I think feel is weird one um, because like, I, I think the general feel for me when I'm playing this game on my tr- is like a question the questions i'm being asked feel like a question of sequencing yeah right yeah. like i think that is always the thing on my turn that i am coming to and i'm confronted with is like okay i know i want to play this objective that means like i want to have people into the in this area you know but if i just put somebody straight into that area is it going to be obvious that this is my objective what i'm trying to achieve so maybe i put somebody over here and i plan to move them later on uh, you know oh i could right now this territory over here is undefended so i could drop one in there or i should maybe i should just take this opportunity to pillage something else right away before my opponents have the opportunity to play out more warriors and and then you take all of that into account and you're like okay but where do i start yeah you know and i think that is the feel of this game in a nutshell to me same and to me that that's the most fun part of blood rage is those early turns of every round where there's so much uncertainty there's so much fuzziness and it's trying to to figure out how to sort of create your opening play and the best part for me also jake is that like round one the board's blank round two there's going to be some leftover warriors probably on the board there might be some ships out and that creates this like different texture of what that decision space looks like for that specific play that feels really different potentially. And you can also end up with plays of this where things just go so colossally wrong. In a round, everyone loses multiple battles. You just tie and everyone gets wiped off the map. And you're starting age two with like kind of a blank board. And those plays are interesting to me too. The the feel of this game can shift a lot from play to play, depending on what card synergies come together, how battles play out, etc. Um and yeah, it's just, it's a it's a really variable game in terms of feel. I also think it's potentially a really brutal game. Yeah. Uh, where there's just <laughs> very powerful actions in this game where you might put a, a frost giant or I think both the giants, you can get these monster upgrades that you can play into a region and they just destroy all non-monster troops in a region. So you can, outside of, Valhall, uh, outside of Yggdrasil in the middle, which is a very important region, you could just completely reshape the map and like wipe all this value for your opponents in a way that you really have to take into account when you're making decisions. And I think for newer players, when you're not thinking about that, because you can't, you just don't have the bandwidth, maybe you don't know the card exists, you haven't seen it yet, that can feel devastating. And you you can have devastating losses and the game's designed around that. You're getting some glory, you're getting some points for losing troops at the end of every round. Um, and that feels good, but like ultimately it can feel really bad to like build up your plan and have it totally crushed and know that you're not going to accomplish anything at all in a round. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I th- and that, like there's a very, very significant snowballing element of this game, which is one of the huge drawbacks that make this something I'm not really excited to play. Yeah. Um, which d- can you talk more about what that is and why? Yeah. Before, yeah. So I mean, it goes back to like the core pillaging mechanism, right? Where if you pillage something, then you survive, your people stick around on the board, you reap a benefit that improves your ability to, you know, add more stuff to the board or get more points from pillaging or take more actions, right? So it's to the victor, go the spoils. And you may get points for losing uh and maybe you're the loki person so you're like kind of okay with that or, or whatever i mean and the loki strategy can be super viable or even overpowering for a lot of like new player groups so i'm not not saying that like losing is always the worst thing in the world but you know you I, you play a lot of games of this where if somebody can win a couple of battles early that means they're starting the next round in a a position of a huge advantage, right? Where they still have pieces left out on the board and their opponents might not. And then they can just pillage right again, again, right away uncontested to keep that advantage uh, going. Um, And to the point where I think quite often 
at least in my plays, which is amateurish compared, you know, not like, yeah, we're not experts at this game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But you know, my experience is still, you know, my experience playing it. And a lot of my plays have, by the time we get to the third age, things feel very much decided already. Mm. And I think this problem is exacerbated the fewer players involved in the game. Yeah. Like, I feel like in a two-player game, almost all of my plays have gone that way, where it's just yeah. like, okay, this is done pretty early on. Like, even as early by the end of age one, it's like, this is insurmountable. Um, I think I think it's less likely that somebody's going to accrue, like, a huge advantage uh, in, in, like, a four, or I think you can play five players with the expansion. Mm. Um, or maybe it's five and six with the expansion. I can't remember. I know there's, like, an expansion that adds the player count one higher than it was included in the base box. Um, but anyway, like I think that is why snowballing happens. Um, and it does impact the feel because when you're snowballing, you look at the board and you're like, wow, I have so many options afforded to me. I can do anything. And if you're starting the second or third round with like nothing on the board and, and you're facing down like large armies, of your opponent, like there's no... There's no swingy comeback mechanism where you can just be like, I'm going to get back in this game all at once. Like maybe you have a monster that can, you know, impact the board significantly. But more often than not, it's just like, okay, cool. They've got eight power in this region and three power over here and four over here. And I can just put down one warrior. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that part of the reason it also feels this way to me too, Jake, is that knowledge of the cards, the card pool matters a lot. So players who are better at the game can pull together better synergies and you can just, you can feel, you can lose an early battle so you don't get the stat increases and then maybe you're not able to pull together as strong of a synergy and foresee what cards could come that might synergize and then feel even more behind because you're kind of just like, you know, you show up at age two and like you look over and this person's outfitted with these perfectly synergistic things. You know, their they're leader's ready to go, huge axe and you have like a stick and you're like, yeah, but my troops are back. And it's like, uh, not enough. Not right. Enough. Yeah. yeah. But I think on the flip side and why so many people love this game is once you have a mastery of it, um, I think that there's this ability to draft in such a way that you could come back if the right comes your way and you can pull together a really powerful strategy. Um, and you can use that knowledge in a way that really benefits you. And I think Blood Rage is a game where the, it's not a game where luck decides the outcome all that often. It's a game where it the best player is likely to win. And I think that rewards these repeat plays and why this, for some groups, has kind of become their like area conflict lifestyle game. Like, I want to play Blood Rage, and then next week I want to play more Blood Rage and more Blood yeah. Rage. Yeah, I have a couple thoughts on that. I think first, like, the game is almost no luck outside of what cards you're dealt in your, your you know, hand. in your starting hand and, you know, what gets past you. There's There's some element of luck there, but, you know, all of... You know, I mean, it's one of those things where I get like, do you consider like simultaneous reveal luck where you're like choosing a power card to add your opponent versus your it's opponent? It's definitely uncertainty, not? but it's not necessarily luck. So and I think that's why that choice of having these more determinative conflicts in the game is why it can appeal to both a yeah. trash for lack of a better term. You know, that's more of the term that was used in back then, back then yeah. when this game was coming out and euros um so there's that and i think too like so much of what you're saying you hear in that quote you referenced at the beginning where eric lang wants this game to be a game that's like bigger than what's in the box and mission accomplished because like this really does feel like a lifestyle game in a box um And, and that's just the base game, right? I think there's a lot of expansion content, a lot of stuff that was like Kickstarter exclusive that's like, you know, very much sought after today. Um, but I think just the stuff in the base box, like you have a game that you could truly play, you know, like an Agricola, like something like that, where you could play this game, you know, every week with the same group of people for months and months, uh, if not years, and not get bored of it. Because like there is so much to master and think through uh, with this game, and I think I I think that is a pro. But the con of that is like without doing that, uh, without achieving that level of mastery, then like you're just not going to get that much out of the card draft. 
And that's so core to the strategy. And like, for me, I don't really, you know, this isn't a game that I enjoy enough to make it a lifestyle game. So like, I feel like I'm never going to, you're scratching the surface. I'm scratching the surface, you know, and I'm never going to have like as much fun as I know is like possible with this game. But it's just like one of those weird things where like, is that like on me or is that like something I can be like fairly critical of the game about? It's like, like, just like, let me have fun, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it, that's interesting. And it kind of goes back to our conversation about Agricola, right? This like, we covered that a few episodes ago and we're talking about design aesthetics and ethos and you know, in some way, in some ways, I think Blood Rage is more designed to be better in the first one, two, three plays than Agricola. I feel like Agricola is not all that concerned about the player having a great experience the first time they play the game. Uh, and I think Blood Rage sh- shows a meaningful step to that, but it's not willing to compromise the design overall in terms of the depth of repeat play that comes from having a mastery of that card pool. So, yeah, I think if it's if you are looking for a game where you can pull it out and teach a group of new players and everyone's going to enjoy it on the same footing, the same level. Blood Rage is not that design. But if if a player group is looking for a game that they can play 30 times together and explore that death and really sink their teeth into it, there's a lot here. And there's yeah. a lot that's exciting. I've can had I re- the, I've had oh, the feel, sorry, I was say like, I've had the feeling a few times in this hobby where it's like, if this game, like if I had this game when I was 12. Yeah, yeah. Like, and like, you know, that that would have probably been, you know, Friday night, Friday night, like, you know, slumber party or whatever, yeah. like sleepover, just like playing, like staying up, drinking like soda until like 4 a.m. You know, yep. like this would be I think I would have like absolutely loved to have this game at that point in my life. But, you know, I'm just not I don't I just like don't think you know, my lifestyle now really affords me the same kind of opportunities to like get that much out of a game like Mm. this. Um, And I I think part of that too is like maybe like the theme Mm. a little bit, Uh, you know, and we don't always get into theme that much except for when we're telling people a new entire system for thinking about theme. (laughs) Um, So go check out that episode. But, you know, like I do think there's something to me like and and i did used to own this game i sold it and i wonder if this game was like i, I don't want to come across as like oh i'm like this like mature adult guy because i'm not at all but if i'm like have like some new people over who are maybe like less familiar with gaming in general uh or, or like starting to become more inter- like involved or invest in the hobby like it just is kind of like strange to me but, like yeah, let's check out this game is called Blood Rage. You and know? here are your miniatures. And, yeah, it, yeah, I know, you know. So yeah. I think, again, that's like sort of like, I, I with this particular deep dive review, I keep coming to these points where I'm like, this is like my personal taste and preference coming into conflict more so than the design of the game. But at the same time, you know, I, I think like Ankh, for example, is similarly like, a game with monsters and miniatures and an area conflict, but it's just like a little bit less kind of like over the top violent. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I, yeah, I think that that's a, a valuable critique. And I think it's important that you highlighted these are like personal preferences coming into play. And now I, I think that I, let's talk about the battle system specifically, but I want to read that quote that you invoked one more time just before we go back to the battle system to hammer this home. So here's the quote again. Eric Lang talking about what he admires about Sid Saxon's games. Players never feel imprisoned by the rules, but rather empowered to create and resolve deep textured conflicts. Okay, let's talk about the battle system. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I think Uh, that this battle system, maybe I can just say off the bat, Jake, the adjacent movement, like moving costs you rage unless someone starts a battle and then you can move your troops wherever you want, as long as you're adjacent to it, is super interesting. Well, you can move it into the region where into the, the battle region. is taking place. Into the region of the battle. You can, yeah. as and as long as there's space. I think that that puzzle of sort of how many spaces remain in a region when you pillage, who's adjacent to it, uh, Igrisil being in the middle and being the best spot to pillage because you get all of your stats increased, it creates so much tension around how you make decisions of where you put troops that I, you like have to include that in the battle system because it makes marching just like physically moving your troops feels so costly and i think that that puzzle is really interesting and a huge part of the reason that the sequencing is so uh, complicated and then the battle system is like 
I'm shocked. When I learned the rules of this game, I was shocked how simple it is. We basically have like a cosmic encounter style. You have your troops on the board and you have your card power that you're going to add to it, which is unfair because then you add tons of other abilities and effects. I guess also like cosmic. But, but you no, know, it's, yeah, I think that's totally fair, right? You count the, up your strength and then you add a card. Yeah. But the important thing is here, it's so much more interesting of a question. Do I want to win or lose? Do you want to win or lose? It's so much more interesting, like you were saying, Jake, than everyone wants to win. And it creates so much more texture in every decision, so many more meaningful considerations, a word that we've been using a lot lately, in terms of making decisions about resource management. Should I play my best card? Does Jake even want to win? Is he sliding in and he just wants to be a part of the battle because he's going to get some great reward for losing it? Um, instantly, there's there's so much more thinking about what you want to do. And in terms of making decisions, I always feel better in games. I'm more excited about decisions where I'm not just thinking about what I want to do, but what you want to do and how that impacts what I want to do. So to me, that captures that best part of these sort of like donkey space situations where I'm trying to think about what you want to do and react to what you want to do by changing what I do. And for me, that part of this battle system, it's something simple that unlocks something better because of the fuzziness around what objectives exist. And that's yeah, great. Yeah, I think I think what you said is all true. Yep. And in practice, it doesn't feel that exciting to me for a couple of reasons. Um, because, and I think that largely is because when you are doing the draft phase, you're there's such a difficult choice to make between taking these end of age personal objectives, which is, a really strong thing in this game. It's like pretty much pretty easy way to get points and you get to increase your stats, picking upgrades and picking battle cards. So like realistically, like when I actually do enter into a battle, I don't act, I don't feel like I have a much of a choice the majority of the time. Like, like you feel like you've already made the choice about what card you're going to play. Because of and maybe this maybe this speaks to my gameplay style and maybe other people perhaps better people at the game or maybe worse people at the game are choosing to draft like m many more battle cards. Mm -mm. Um, like I, I feel like I rarely have more than two or three battle cards in my hand, which means if I'm entering a battle, like I just, my choice is much more limited than it seems. So it's, is cool in the system. Yes, there can be a lot of kind of, uh, conflicting interests in any given battle i mean that one thing some of one of the cards is just says like cancel all text on other cards so one of them says like gain two for every gain two points for every uh figure destroyed in a battle even your own so like some an important thing to note about the battle system is you only lose the card you wager in that battle if you win so like a viable strategy could be like, I just put one figure in every single conflict and I just get points for the destroyed ones because I'm never mm -hmm. winning them and I'm just playing this card over and over again. Um, but again, like that feels like that is like interesting and it's like something that you have to think about uh, maybe your opponent is doing. But if like you're the person doing that, you're not really making a decision in each of those battles. You've just you're just like opting into the same strategy. Do you see what I'm saying? I do see what you're saying, but I one thing that I think a wrinkle that I'm curious about your thoughts on is that I think that not all battles are created equal, quite literally, because not all pillaging rewards are exactly the same, and also your board position can be different. So in terms of that quote, players never feel imprisoned by the rules, but rather empowered, I think that the fact that you don't have to play a battle card, you could play a quest card, you could play an upgrade card as the card you're playing, is sometimes the decision around when to do that is really interesting to me where like, okay, Jake is pillaging this region. No one else could feasibly commit a troop. Maybe I'll commit one troop so the pillage isn't free. I'm going to put down a quest uh, that reveals information about what I might want to do because it's going to get revealed, but I'm not actually going to go for that quest. It's going to come back to me. So I know Jake burns his best card and then I've bluffed about what I might want to be doing with a quest in my hand. I think that that sort of stuff in practice, which I know what you're going to say, in practice, that doesn't come up very often. And that's true. And that's why I said the pace of interesting decisions, but the room for it is there. And that's what makes me like this system more. It's like that freedom to do zany stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think you're right. Where, I, again, I'm just of two minds of it. I think it's cool. I think like we can come up with tons of like really interesting theoretical situations, but 
how often are is that actually coming up in the game and on one hand makes it sort of like like less interesting of a consideration because you're thinking like okay i'll go in there to force me to burn a, like a really strong power card or whatever yep. but i probably don't have to unless you're committing like enough troops to really be intimidated sure and because that possibility exists and this is like again the thing that just makes me always kind of like throw my hands up in these like super high aid like player interaction games where it's like okay brendan's committed one unit to this it could be a zero or it could be a six power card yeah right and it's like okay it could just be either of these things i have no reasonable way of knowing what is in brendan's hand nor what is in his mind here so like i just don't get a lot personally out of like thinking through that and i know a ton mm. of other people do right that's like what they love about this kind of game it's like i'm gonna like you know what are all the different possibilities here i'm gonna really think through them but for me i just kind of throw my hands up i'm like well it could be a six or you know so i'm just gonna play this card or whatever yeah, you know sure and it's you, either a six and i lose or it's not and i win you know and it's like did i come up with like a smart tactical decision there like is there even a tactical decision there to make you know and that's why i'm like not not really I think what sold you're saying on that too jake is like within these sort of like conflict style games and this specific type of decision space where understanding what you want to do is so important the fuzzier they get and you feel that the decisions around what people might play are really fuzzy the less meaningful the decisions you can make are so it feels that's why it feels like oh i'll just do what seems like the obvious best move in this situation and i think that's totally fair criticism and that's yeah, why for me exactly. it's a 7.5 it or an 8 way better than i did but thank you yeah. for summarizing that Totally. And for me, it's that's partially why it's a 7.5 or an 8 and not a 10. You know, I'm trying to defend Blood Rage and its design somewhat as on the show. But I do think that the pace of interesting decisions, I wish was just a little higher. Mm -hmm. um, I think that Blood Rage, when I'm playing it, the parts I like the least are like, it feels so procedural. It's like, okay, I'm going to pillage here. Would anyone like to participate in the pillage? Okay, no. Yeah. I want to participate. Okay, now we go around the table, we do it again. And like, even the draft itself kind of like leans into this. Like, I'll pick my two cards. Okay, pass me the new ones. I, I like drafting. But like, all of these elements come together in terms of like, I'm going to move my stats up. And just the, the pace of these small little decisions makes the game feel more procedural than it does uh, like empowered to be free and creative in some yeah. ways because like you're empowered and free but there's a lot of little steps you got to take totally yeah i'm, I'm with you a hundred percent and i i think the other kind of like downside to this battle system is like how swingy some of the cards can be like once one of the cards is just like everybody destroys all their figures except for one you know yeah. and one of the cards is like like i said it's like plus six power which is huge right that's equal to six warriors in a game yeah. and like you know i i've played a game recently where it's like okay i really need to pillage this i've got four power there's just like one person he over and they came in and i you know they had the plus six and i got defeated in it and i was like okay well there goes my whole game mm -hmm. you know and it, yeah there was not really like you know a more skilled person's like is able to like probably like see that and be like oh i this is a high risk play because it's possible that that one person can move in and they might have the six and if i do that like it blows up my whole game you know so perhaps there is the ability to see that but also it's like i need to i'm behind i have to do something it. right yeah. so it's sort of like do I, is that really a choice that's afforded to me at all or not yeah so i think that's some like you know again like the battle system is cool but it can lead to some swingy frustrating moments too for, for me I, I like the swingy moments because it's exciting but what i could totally do without are the cards that you get to play after the battle's been those flips have been resolved yeah, that give you right that's just another procedural thing i don't need like a i okay i win like like yeah. just holding that back and yeah there's a sub strategy there it was like those. i think they put played the six and i had like a four and i so i won like eight to seven they're like and i'm gonna use this plus three it's like really yeah. just to like win this like you invalidate one little my decision. upgrade yeah yeah it's cool you know so it's, <laughs> it's frustrating um okay I think, I think we should talk about the draft a little bit more okay it's just that a sounds decision good. because i think you brought up like the procedural element of it and i i think that's one thing to point out about drafts is it is just like i think it is like uh and this is a term that we need to we don't have a super clear definition for on the show or in our discord 
Uh, okay, but I think like it's a little fiddly. Yeah, like, yeah, totally. Like it is a little fiddly. If if you are playing a any so I mean this game similar to some other we've covered, right? It takes place in two parts. Like you have a whole draft phase for every single age, and then you play out the age, and then you do a whole another draft. And if you're playing this game with people who aren't familiar with the cards like pool like that means people are like literally reading and processing and trying to evaluate a decision between i think you think you start with like eight cards in your first hand and they take two and pass and so you do that like it's just a long process um and i I think that like i'm i'm kind of anti-drafting as part of a game I'm mm. realizing as part of doing this show, I felt the same way, like all the way back in our raise Arcana episode where it's like, like, do we want to do the draft berry or not? Like I will like 10 out of 10 times skip that. Um, this is such a spicy take. <laughs> I, I like draft games. If like the draft is the game, like sushi yeah, yeah. go, right. Sure. But like to, or, uh, uh, it's a wonderful world is one I played recently where it's like, it's like the draft is like, important part right and the rest is sort of the procedural stuff but i think like when you have to do like a full whole draft game and that's just a part of it like that just throws the balance off to me in general so that's just another thing like i personally not crazy about yeah i think one thing that's so interesting we've covered reasons why that draft like makes it harder for newer players and that sort of thing but i will say one thing that i like about the draft is i (laughs) It's fun. It's really fun pulling synergies and and powers together in that way. Like it's exciting when you get to draft a card early on um, in age one and know that, okay, if I get this card later on, I'll play into it in this way. Like I really have come to like this age three card Odin's throne that doubles your reward for having uh, for quests. Quest, That's really yeah. exciting. Yeah. Like if you can plan around that, like you, maybe you carry an extra quest forward from the previous age and you can really stack on that. Those are really fun moments that I think the draft enables because the draft somewhat enables that we all have access to different actions and this sort of thing. There's different ways to go about it, but it's so much the heart of like you having agency, empowering you to bring together these specific synergies all your own that would take way longer to do not in a simultaneous round the table draft. Um, but yeah, all the criticisms in terms of the decisions you mentioned too, so fair. Totally. What's your favorite way to play the game, Jake? Maybe as a way to close out, if that's okay with you. Like, are you mean like player count? Your player count, and also maybe like a card or a strategy you like to you like to approach if you're going to play the game. Yeah, I like. Um, I think higher player count is preferred. Totally. I don't know that I would want to play it with five or six if that's possible but like three or four is the sweet spot yeah two is too few two is like you're gonna whoever gets like you know the early lead it's just gonna be insurmountable probably yeah um so yeah three or four probably four is my favorite player count i really like the quests i think i go for the quests i I really highly prioritize those in the draft and that probably just speaks to me as more of like a euro minded person in this game where it's like okay i can focus on achieving these quests and now i'm like it that allows me to see through the clarity a bit more um and there's a card that allows you to or a couple of upgrades that allow you to use quests as battle cards yeah. um and i like i love that if i could just like get that and then i just get like literally all the quests to be like hate drafting quests from people um, I think that's like a really kind of fun off the wall strategy that's been somewhat uh, unsuc- somewhat successful at, at times. The other strategy that I think is really fun, but I always blunder is building up stacking upgrades on your leader. Uh, I think that can be really fun where you sort of like you make your leader bigger, you make it so you can move when you pillage and you put all this momentum in, but I invariably blunder it away and like lose my leader in a battle. And I'm like, oh, I really overcommitted to this strategy. The, <laughs> yeah. This Loki strategy around killing your own boats or getting your own boats destroyed, your ships, I think is interesting. But it's the sort of thing where it's like, this is more clever than it is fun, for me yeah. at least. And I'm like, ah, okay, yeah. we've gone too far. Yeah, I've tried the boat thing. And honestly, like just like the monster upgrades in general, oh, I feel like it's a lot. It's just a lot to commit to it. Like it yeah. costs like it's fun. It's kind of one of those things where it's like what's you know, what's fun isn't always gonna be like what's good. Yeah. Um but yeah. All right, Brendan, cool. any any final thoughts or 
I think that that's, that's a really fair take on Blood Rage. I hope people appreciate the sort of us bringing in interview questions from elsewhere. Um, and I think we've sort of like highlighted one thing that's awesome about this design and why it speaks to so many people. So I hope that that sticks with you. And that, of course, is uh, that this game tries to empower players uh, with the agency to not be imprisoned by the rules and create deep and engaging conflicts. Uh, and to me, that's like a great goal to shoot for. And I think it succeeds on that measure swimmingly. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode of Decision Space. I'm recording this in post because our outro got messed up somehow when we were recording it. But let me just thank you once again for taking the time out of your week to listen to our humble little podcast. It means a ton to us. As always, I include links in the show notes of this podcast. If you ever want to find us on discord and join that community uh you're welcome to we would love to have you also have a link to our patreon there and lastly just super curious to hear what you think of this week's episode i know a lot of people have strong thoughts on blood rage so if that's you let us hear it we'd love to hear feedback and as always we'll send you off with our intro and outro song which is reach out by hemp bye y'all